I really am a bit of a cowboy at heart. I used to follow the rodeo and even rode bareback for a while. Had some chariot ponies and did that, so I like the rodeo. I had a number of texts this week from one of my brothers who tends to keep me busy moving his vehicles around. And we were talking about a vehicle that he has down in the U.S. in Phoenix and wondered if somehow I could get it back in August to him. And so I was com communicating with him, and I got it thinking about my health insurance. And I realized that every year I get older, it goes up. And every pill I take, it goes up. Well, it reminded me of a story that I read a number of years ago about a man who was brought to Mercy Hospital in Chicago, and he went there for coronary surgery. The operation went well, and as the groggy man regained consciousness, he was assured by a sister of mercy waiting by his bedside. Mr. Smith, you're going to be just fine, the nun said while patting his hand. We do have to know, however, how you intend to pay for your stay here. And cover, is it covered by insurance? No, I'm not, the man whispered hoarsely. Can you pay in cash? I'm afraid I can't, sister. Do you have any close relatives then? Well, just my sister in New Mexico, he replied, but she's a spinster nun. Nuns are not spinsters, Mr. Smith, the nun replied. They are married to God. Okay, the man said with a smile. Then send the bill to my brother-in-law. <laughs> I think somehow we feel like that. You know, that we need to have a brother-in-law who happens to be God. The reality is we have Abba, Daddy. He's not a brother-in-law. He's our Savior. And so over this next period of time, I'm going to go through, this next four weeks, I'm going to go through the cry for revival. I'm not sure if we got it on there. There we go. The cry for revival. We're going to talk about do it again, Lord, this morning. Next week, we're going to have a look at the obstacles to revival. We're going to talk about a heart that's ready for revival, and we're going to talk about the roar of the revival. It's interesting to note, in history, on Monday, August 14, 2006, NASA placed its first... Uh-oh, it's honking. There we go. Placed its first man on the moon. We all remember it. We remember that it was July 20th, 1969. It really just seems like yesterday that Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. But one of the amazing things is that NASA has reported misplacing the video of that particular day. They've lost the soundtrack that said, one step for man, one giant leap for mankind. It's got lost. His famous spacewalk that was seen by millions has got lost. Only the government could do that. The truth is, in life, 
we lose things. In life, we lose things. I can't begin to tell you the number of things I've lost in my lifetime. And the older I get, the easier it is to lose them. I can put something down and an hour later wonder, where did I put that? I go look in my wife's special drawer whenever she loses something. Oh, there it is. But we tend to lose things. Sadly, sometimes we lose ourselves. And that is far more important to God than any of these other things that we misplace, even that famous recording in Nassau. We lose ourselves by making mistakes and giving in to sin. When we do that, a part of our identity gets lost. We forget to follow Jesus all the time, like I was talking with the children this morning. Somehow we kind of put Jesus on a holiday, and we lose sight of him and his instructions and his commands in our life. We get caught up in the moment and lose sight of those things that are most important to us. I have certainly been lost in the past. In some things, I even feel a bit lost now with Ken and I making the transition in each of our lives. There are times I have lost my way, my identity, and often my proper goals and ambitions. What I've learned, though, is rarely does it happen intentionally or purposefully. It just happens. That's the truth that sometimes our lostness just happens. But Jesus understood that. Jesus knew that. Before the foundation of the world, God knew that. He knew that sometimes we would get lost. And that's why Jesus came and Jesus declared, the Son of Man came to seek and to save that what was lost. This morning I want to suggest now is the time to be found. Now is the time for each of us to check our spiritual compass. Just where are we in our relationship with Jesus, the true north? Where are we? Now is the time to look. There are some questions I want us to ask of ourselves this morning. But before we do, let's ask the Lord Jesus, the Holy Ghost, to be present in our thoughts and in our hearts. So let's just pray together, seeking God's face. Father in heaven, this is your holy word. This is the word that you breathed into the heart of each of the authors of your holy scriptures. And so, Holy Father, we need the empowerment of your Spirit to close us off from the world around us, to extract us from losing focus, and bring us into that place where you are speaking truth. And so, Father, as I share these thoughts this morning, I pray that it would only be your thoughts that are heard. And if there are any human error, 
they would be extracted by your spirit. So, Father, open our heart to insight, for we ask it in Jesus' name. My friends, those three things I spoke about are natural and undeniable truths in our individual lives, in our families, in our church, and in our community. We need to understand that over, most, over, <coughs> over time, most churches plateau and then eventually decline. Typically, they, are strong, they start strong and experience great periods of significant growth, but then they stagnate and lose members. Since 1991, North American population has increased by 15%. But the number of unchurched people in our society in North America has now increased to 92%. Meaning that only 8% of North Americans actually consider themselves a faithful churchgoer. I don't know about you, but that astounds me that that would be the numbers. Churches that were once filled are now a fraction of their original capacity. This is not some new modern phenomena. It is a pattern seen again and again throughout biblical history and divinely recorded in the scriptures. A study of the Bible shows that the pattern of generational spiritual decline is seen throughout history, and it's particularly talked about in the book of Judges. And you need to take some time, maybe, in your summer to read that book. Seems like a bit of a difficult book to get through, but it talks about the decline of our spiritual nature and the decline of our personal growth. I want to say to you this morning, as we go into this series for the next four weeks, revival is not something that is just for backslidden Christians or the immature or the ignorant. All of us throughout our Christian pilgrimage will need personal revival from time to time. Every church that has survived more than a generation or two will require times of revival if they are to continue to be a successful witness for Christ Jesus. A church like ours that has been in place for 50 years plus, the only reason we are here today is because some of our founding members sensed the need for a revival amongst themselves, understand the wording, sensed revival amongst themselves so that they could reach the German population. They recognized that they could not do that without seeking a personal revival. And this church is a result of that personal revival. Dr. Arnold Cook, one of my professors at Canadian Theological Seminary, in his book entitled History, Historical Drifts, writes, despite the constant reminders by social scientists that we live in a vortex of the fastest pace of change known to humanity. Our most vigorous reaction is benign neglect 
And he says, time takes the toll. He goes on to say, complacency gradually replaces commitment. Think about that for a minute. Complacency gradually replaces commitment. The desire to serve subtly places the desire to the desire to be served subtly replaces the desire to serve. Monetary motivation slowly takes priority over ministry. Wants evolve into needs. True Christianity, where am I? Oh, I'm way back, I'm way back. All right, I'm getting there. Complacency gradually replaces commitment. There we go. True Christianity remains always only one slim generation from extinction. Do you know that? True Christianity is only one generation from extinction, from disappearing. The tendency is for the fire to go out. Nominalism becomes the growing edge of Christianity unless frequent times of renewal are experienced. So here are some questions for us this morning as we enter this series. What is revival? Well, first of all, it is supernatural. It's a supernatural re revelation. I read this this week. The second law of thermodynamics can be summarized as all things atrophy over time. All things atrophy over time. And revival is a supernatural counter to that natural law happening in the church. Revival literally means to repeat, to be brought back to live, to be vibrant, full of life. Thus, revival is the process of stopping and reversing the natural laws of spiritual atrophy. Revival is an important ingredient, not in the church, but in us, because we are the church. Spiritually, revival refers to the condition of our heart, the strength and genuineness of our relationship with Jesus, and the dependence upon him. The psalmist said in our reading this morning, will you revive us again so that your people may rejoice? Here was David speaking on behalf of the house of Israel. Will you revive us again so that your people will fill with, be filled with a sense of rejoicing? Putting it simply, after lamenting the current sinful, apathetic state of God's people and remembering by contrast how it used to be, David writes, revive us again. Bring revival into our life. Do you remember... Those early days of being a Christian. You remember the moment some of us, some of you, 
I can't put us in that character. Some of you grew up and your faith grew. Some of us are first-generation Christians. That's my camp. That's where I come from. I'm not a church person. Didn't grow up in the church. I remember the night that evangelism explosion came to my door and I accepted Christ as my Savior. And I remember the days and years that followed and the excitement and the enthusiasm and the joy and the passion I had to go out and win people to Jesus. That's all I was focused on. Sound like somebody you know? Sound like a first generation that's in your midst? His name's Pastor Freddie. His name's Pastor Freddie. It's enthusiastic when you become a Christian. It's a supernatural sense. And we forget, we forget what those days were like. Lord Jesus said in the book of Revelation, this sin I have against you, this I find your fault, you have lost, come on those of you who know it, your first love. You have lost your first love. And we need to recognize that that's a natural progression in Christianity if we're not careful. And we will go through those phases in our Christian walk. And so revival is supernatural. But secondly, we need to ask the question, revival is distinct from evangelism. The late great evangelist George Stevens once explained, the doctrine of revitalization carries a different meaning. It concerns those who have accepted Jesus. Revival is not for those who are lost. Revival is not for those who are outside the kingdom. They need redemption, not revival. It is the church of Jesus Christ. It is Thornhill Baptist Church. It is the members and adherents and guests of this church who I suggest need the revival of the Holy Spirit if we are going to be effective in the 21st century. How many people can say amen? How many believe amen? We need that. Revival is not for the lost. Revival is for the redeemed. One who is unrelated to Christ cannot be revived. He must be regenerated. Revival is the awakening, the revitalization, the restoring of those who have already come into a personal relationship with King Jesus, who have been robbed, who have, who have been robbed of their sense of duty towards God by the evil one and the world that begins to surround them. And they start to drift from that first love where they're on the, the narrow path that leads unto eternity and into rejoicing and they begin to slip into the wide path that is set before us by the evil one. Again, the psalmist says, will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? You're going to see this verse over and over again because that's what we need. Thirdly, revival is... is not only supernatural, it's not about evangelism. Revival is always powerful. Revival is, is, is always obvious and powerful. Dr. Cook again describes revival as 
a time when God comes down, when the Word comes alive, when sin is revealed, where brokenness abounds, where confessions are made, where forgiveness is granted and broken relationships are restored. That's revival. Are any of these elements absent in our church, absent in our lives? Because if they are, that's not revival. Again, will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Do it again and again, the psalmist says. So the first question we ask, what is revival? The second question we come to is, what should revival look like? And you say, oh, no, that Pastor Gary's got some weird graph up there. By definition, revival is not something that does or even should happen all the time. It is a cyclical need, and as such, it is important that we recognize where and when in our spiritual lives we need revival. I'm demonstrating this by this curve. It's called the Simoid Curve, and it was actually placed there uh, for some Charles Hardy, and he designed it, and it frequently is used today in studying individual and organization behavior by secular and Jesus-believing analysts alike. And the synoid or the upside S in pink, is the natural growth where we get saved, and when we start to climb in our relationship with Jesus, we start to move up the hill with all the excitement and rejoicing that's in our heart, and we come to that place where the world starts to enter into our lives, where we get set back in our ways, and there's a t the, the pinnacle that we reach starts to go downhill. And so A, you say, to, you say A is when we should start looking at revival in ourselves. Most people get to B before they start recognizing that they need revival. And if you get to B, you're in trouble. If you get to B, you are in trouble. Because that's the road that starts to lead to the death of your spiritual witness and the death of your spiritual energy. Again, we read it. Will you not revive us again? But I want to tell you, who needs revival? We need to start doing it revival as we go back and look at that graph. We need to start doing revival at point A, not at point B. Because we need to regenerate ourselves at point A to keep going up the ladder instead of going over the top and sliding down the ladder. But many of us in many churches get to point B and they say, we need revival. I tell you, it's too late. Because all the energy and all the enthusiasm and all those things have already been zapped from the church. And people have entered into Christian ap apathy. Where are you in your life? I'm not talking about the church. Now I want to talk about you. Where are you in your life? Have you found yourself at the top and now you're deciding, well, I'm just, I, I'm just finished. I have no energy left. 
Well, you say, wow, who needs it? Who needs revival? We all do. We all do. When you ask yourself, how do I know? How do I know if I'm at point B, A, or I'm at point B? Well, let me ask you these simple questions. Is your heart crowded? Does Christ get all your love, or merely one of many pieces? Is your heart cold and calloused? Is your love for him and others fervent and constant? Is your heart corrupt? Do you crave or treasure anything immoral in God's eyes? Do you serve less today than you have in the past? Is your excitement, commitment to tell others declining? Are you living today in the power of the Holy Spirit? Or is your spiritual tank empty? When others observe you, is your Christ light brighting, bright and shiny or flickering? If you can answer yes to any of these questions, or even partially, then guess what? You need revival. You need revival. Let's talk finally about the setting for revival. God is not obligated to revive us. You're going to say, Why do you, wait a minute, Pastor. God is not obligated to revive you. While it is ultimately a supernatural act of God, revival begins with us. Revival begins with you. God is not obligated to do it, but he will do it when we cry out. When we cry out to him and confess to him that we're we're, we're living several of those points that need revival, and we cry out. It's not God's obligation that comes into play. It's God's love and passion for you. And his love and desire to see you continue to go on the absurd curve and not slide down the other side. But we must seek it. But let's look at the final question, concluding challenge to those who will cry for a revival. Will I? Will you? Will we? Earnestly cry for revival? We're sitting on the corner of this city, of this community, and this community needs Jesus. Doesn't it? Don't those who are in our workplace and in our schools and in our communities and our neighborhoods, do they not need Jesus? 
The question you need to ask yourself that I might ask myself, am I bringing Jesus to them? Or have I slipped over the edge and I'm at point B? John Rice wrote a song many years ago entitled, Lord, I am the one. And here's the chorus. Lord, I am the one. I am the one who needs revival. I am the one, I am the one. Oh, it's not the man next door. Oh, Lord, I need it more than the man next door. Oh, Lord, I am the one. Or if you'd rather do it in another way, you see my pink circle that Evie and I tried to do this morning? She's a great helper. And so we sat down together on our hands and knees and we stapled this little circle. And I'm going to have it here, only in a little more permanent fashion, for the next four weeks. Because here's how revival starts in the church. You place yourself in the center of this circle and you pray. Dear Lord, begin revival and start in this circle. And that's me. So I'm going to place this up here for four weeks. And I want you to think about revival in your own heart. I want you to think where you are on the pilgrimage of your faith. And is your first love drifting? Is, your, is atrophy starting to filter into your Christian experience? Then either during the week time or after service, I want you to come in and place yourself in the middle of this circle. And say, Lord, start revival in this circle. And you'll be amazed how that circle expands once it started with you and once it started with me. Do you think the church needs revival in North America? How many believe that the church needs to be revived? We all believe that. Well, let me tell you, my brothers and sisters, it starts in the middle of that circle where you're standing. And if it hasn't started with you, it's not going to grow and it's not going to change the world. It's not going to change this community. It's not going to change this city unless we start reviving ourselves supernaturally. Because God likes providing my son with a four-wheeler so he can go quadding. My God wants to revive you so Jesus becomes glorified and this community begins to see the visible Jesus. I remember preaching at a black church once and I got all excited like that. Oh, they were, help him, Jesus. Yes, give it. I mean, they were yelling it so hard and so loud, I wanted to take notes on my own message. <laughs> Revival, my brothers and sisters, is what we need. You have your pastor coming back. You have your pastor going to bring all kinds of insight with him. But I want to say to you, my dear friends, it will be useless excitement if we're not revived to respond to the Holy Spirit. Revival, this is first of four. I conclude with these scriptures. 
Will you revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Do it again and again in 2 Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, and turn from their evil ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will give supernatural revival. So that circle is going to be here for the next four weeks. Do a spiritual inventory of your heart. And if you need to quietly come in here sometime and stand in that circle, I believe God will understand why. Father, thank you for your holy word. And as we go to communion this morning, Father, I pray that you will be extra special. That by your spirit you will speak openly with us. And they will, we will hear you. And so, Father, in the quietness of this moment, would you hear the hearts of those who are sitting in this room and have somehow been touched by your truth as we participate in the remembrance of the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ? Revive us and do it again, Father. Do it again, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If I could have our team that are going to help with the Lord's Supper this morning to come forward. We're going to do it a little differently. We're going to distribute the bread as the body of Christ. And we're going to ask you to hold the bread until the wine is distributed, and we'll participate together in both elements. And so before we do, I'm going to ask our brother Carl, put him on the spot, and ask if he'd pray for the, uh, the Lord's Supper.
this moment is all about remembering. It's remembering what Jesus did for you and for I. But this morning, I want you to think of it a different moment. Think about where you are in the circle. Make this a symbolic, symbolic moment in your life. And as you partake together of both elements, maybe a sense that you're looking for revival in your own life. Just between you and Jesus. And see if he might not do something special. Let's partake together. And now go with the love of Jesus in your heart and walk into our western city and wherever you might be this week, Stampede Week. BJ, BT, VJ, be the visible Jesus. Amen. To start a fire, all you need is a match. A single flame, tiny in size, but capable of igniting something massive. When left uncovered, it spreads quickly, lighting others as it moves. It grows, occupying any space that will give it room to breathe. As the flame gets hotter, the capacity of its effort becomes exponential. This is a fire. An inferno rages, unrelentingly tearing forward, engulfing all that will give it life. And in its wake, it leaves a trail of change. A change born of nothing more than a little flame. This is how you start a fire.